a listener production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful burns, and welcome to the episode of today. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about, or I specifically, I'm going to be talking about six ways to increase your self-worth. Now, I'm actually revisiting a whole bunch of topics that I have covered in the past around self-worth because I was like, I want to do another episode on self-worth. And I've done episodes on self-worth before, so I've gone and revisited those. I'm going to resurrect a couple of them, but I'm adding a bunch more to the list as well. So we're getting it to six ways to increase your self-worth. And the reason I want to talk about self-worth is because a lot of my content is around your relationship with yourself and self-love. And self-worth is a huge factor It's one of the major pillars of self-love, okay? If you do not think that you are worthy or valuable as an individual, then it's going to be really difficult for you to then love that version of you or who you are, and you're likely going to be seeking other people to prove your worth or to prove your value. And then the issue with that is that it's a bit of a lottery because sometimes you're going to meet some really beautiful people who do that all the time and they're showing you your worth, they're showing you your value, they're showing how much they love you. But if you can't provide that for yourself, you're also at the risk of meeting people that are the opposite and they tear you down and they manipulate you. You never want to be at the mercy of what other people think you are because there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And if you get stuck in the bad, then you're going to feel really shit about yourself. You want to be the standard. And the beauty about setting the standard of what your worth is that A, you're less likely to have the shitty people come into your life and B, you're more likely to bring into people that are going to match that standard or in some cases go above and beyond because they adore you so much. So that's like win, 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 tick, 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 tick. So we're going to be talking about how you can feel worthy, things that are going to help you increase your self-love by increasing your self-worth, okay? Update for today. Uh, Oh, I did have my girls Christmas over the weekend. That was a great time. We went to Sean's Panorama in Bondi. So if you're from Sydney, there's this like cool little quaint restaurant in Bondi called Sean's Panorama and you can book out this little private room and they have like three options on the menu. It's just very, very like cute and cool and you just look over the water. It's adorable. So we went there and then our friends, (laughs) after the lunch, we went back. There's 11 of us in the group. And so then we went back to our friend Bella's place and Bella and Alex, our two girlfriends, they had organized this You know those bender buses, right, that take people to like a hen's party or it's part of a hen's or it's like those hectic buses with poles in them and like fridges for drinks and they really tinted windows and you drive around the city at night and you don't really know where you go because the windows are so tinted. We could have been who knows where we drove to. But it's like a one-hour trip in this bus. But we weren't going anywhere. We just literally, they booked this bus. We get on this bus, (laughs) cranking music, dancing on poles only to return back to the, you know, apartment and be like, anyway, bye, thanks. And then we just kept, you know, kept the the night going strong at our friend Bella's place. So we literally just went on a bender bus to nowhere, just back home. It was unbelievable. And then some of my friends went to some, like, legitimate rave, which I did not go to. And I'm not sure if I regret not going. It looked really fun. So I don't know. I might start raving 
Stay tuned. Okay, we're going to get straight into the brain fact of today. The brain fact of today is going to be around something called REM sleep disorder and also what happens in REM sleep disorder, which is um, a lack of muscle atonia. Okay, so this REM sleep behavior disorder is called RBD. But REM stands for rapid eye movement, which is a phase of, it's one of your sleep phases where obviously if someone has their eyes closed, you can see rapid eye movement underneath their eyelids. It's part of, it's an important part of your sleep, many cycles of sleep. Um, So you've got your rapid eye movement, that's the R, um, and then sleep behavior disorder, BD. I don't know why there isn't an S there, but it's RBD. And it's basically a sleep disorder which is characterized by the absence of normal muscle atonia, which is like a paralysis during REM sleep. Normally when we get into this phase of our sleep, that's where you've got all these vivid active dreams that are going on. And your body undergoes this kind of muscle paralysis in a way, and that prevents people from physically acting out their dreams, you know. Obviously, we all move in our sleep, but the actual acting out of our dreams, and obviously there are people that will act out their dreams, and that's because they're not getting adequate muscle atonia. So in REM sleep behavior disorder, this muscle paralysis is incomplete or it's absent altogether, which means that this individual can physically act out their dreams while they are in their REM stage. So this can cause a lot of injury to themselves, of course, because they could be like hitting things with their limbs. They could be getting out of bed. They could be really hurting themselves. And of course, it could be hurting their, if they sleep with a significant other, they can be like fully beating up their significant other unintentionally. Well, hopefully unintentionally. So the key features of REM sleep behavior disorder are vivid and violent dreams. So this is where people with this disorder have these intense, physically active dreams that can and often are violent or aggressive, but not always. It doesn't have to be violent or aggressive. And this can include behaviors of like sleep talking, shouting, um, kicking, punching, jumping out of bed in the middle of their sleep. Like it's intense. Okay. Then the next feature is lack of muscle atonia. So this is where you're not getting that normal muscle paralysis that should be happening during REM sleep. There's this absence of it. Um, And then, of course, another feature is this high potential for injury. So because there's all this physical activity, um, you're at much higher risk of injuring yourself when you're asleep. And normally people with REM sleep disorder will have to put measures into place so they're less likely to injure themselves based on how their room is set up or maybe to sleep closer to the wall so they're not falling out of the bed and things like that. Now, the lack of muscle atonia in REM sleep behavior disorder, it's due to this disrupted regulation of muscle tone during this stage of sleep. Because in a typical sleep cycle, including REM sleep, the brain is sending signals to inhibit muscle activity through a whole range of different neurotransmitters that are involved, which I'll go into in a second. And that's what results in the paralysis. And this paralysis is obviously a protective mechanism that is preventing you from acting out your sleep and getting hurt. And when it's disrupted, you're getting this disorder. And the exact cause of it is not fully understood, but we do know that it's got to do with the dysfunction in the brain regions that are responsible for the regulation of 
you know, REM sleep and muscle atonia and also the release of different neurotransmitters that are involved in REM sleep disorder and in taking care of muscle atonia. So the neurotransmitters that are involved are the ones that are going to be involved in regulating your sleep-wake cycles, ones that are involved with um, muscle activity. And even though we don't completely understand the mechanisms behind it, we know that there are the following neurotransmitters that I'm going to mention in a second that play a key role in this disorder. So the first one is a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. So acetylcholine is released in the brainstem and it activates the motor neurons, okay, that are responsible for muscle atonia. So in REM sleep disorder, there's going to be an imbalance in acetylcholine levels and this leads to the the inability to achieve muscle paralysis. So then you, you continue moving the muscles instead of paralyzing the muscles. Then we've got GABA. GABA is also heavily involved. GABA as you probably know because I've banged on about it so much, is the primary inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. So it's the one that inhibits activity in the brain. And of course, because its its role is inhibition, it plays a massive role in relaxing the muscles. And it's believed that a deficiency in GABA, not enough inhibition, or decreased levels of GABA or a decreased response to GABA, in the brainstem is what is contributing to this loss of muscle atonia. So that's why you're getting too much activity because there's not enough inhibition. Then we've got dopamine. So dopamine has been found to be involved in this disorder because dopamine is very, it, it's like a critical player when it comes to movement. If you look at diseases such as Parkinson's disease, you're seeing a reduction in the dopamine producing neurons within the brain because it has, it's heavily involved in motor control and motor function. And an imbalance in dopamine levels is going to disrupt this regulation of muscle atonia. Um, and you also see with a lot of people with REM sleep disorder, may also develop some sort of neurodegenerative disorder. And we don't know if REM sleep disorder is a sign, an early warning sign that this neurodegenerative disorder has begun, or if REM sleep disorder is kind of like, this is happening independently, but the more it happens, it could then cause this. That's what we don't know. But at the moment, we're taking it as a potential early warning sign. And the reason I say that is because not everyone who has REM sleep dis disorder goes to develop a neurodegenerative disorder, such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's disease, any kind of neurodegeneration. Then we've got serotonin. So serotonin is another neurotransmitter, and it's also involved, yes, in mood, but it's heavily involved in sleep regulation and muscle tone control. So you've got acetylcholine, you've got GABA, dopamine, and serotonin. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what's causing all the things that are contributing to causing this REM sleep disorder. Now, keep in mind that there's many things that can also cause REM sleep disorder. So imbalances in neurotransmitters will vary from patient to patient. It's not going to be the same one. Like most things that happen in the brain, it's not like textbook standard across the board. There's going to be variations between patients. And then you're, there's also going to be people that ha have underlying conditions or disorders and people that don't, well that don't have obvious ones. So it seems to just be happening on its own. So to diagnose and treat it, it involves kind of uh, addressing the underlying causes and trying to manage the symptoms. So in some cases, medications that affect neurotransmitted systems are used, um, such as things that will target the GABA 
pathways, so something that's going to enhance the production of GABA. That might be prescribed to help control these symptoms, and that way you're promoting this muscle atonia, so you're actually relaxing your muscles when you're sleeping. However, that's determined on a case-by-case basis, and treating the symptoms isn't saying that it's curing the disorder. You're just treating the symptoms. You're still not getting to this underlying cause, so it's still important to be working with specialists to figure out is there an underlying cause for this? What is it? What is this hinting to? What is it leading to? And every single person is different. Every case is different. So that's the brain fact for today. REM sleep disorder or REM sleep behavior disorder is the two names for it. Let's get straight into the topic of today's podcast episode. Basically, we're going to be talking about six ways to increase your self-worth. So I'm going to be going through these six points, delving a bit deeper into these six points. There's going to be some things that you're like, oh, yep, I definitely do that. And then other things that you're like, no, I don't do that. I can include that. And for some people, you probably do none of them. So see what works for you. Take on board the ones that work for you. Take on board as many as you can, because the more things you can implement, the bigger changes you're going to see. The first thing, step one, number one, is provide value for others and perform good deeds. It's kind of this idea of like, be of value and create value, okay? And this comes down to connection. If you live your life completely in isolation and not having solid connections and not doing something outside of yourself to contribute to your community or to society or to to those that you love, including animals and nature, then you're going to start to feel quite isolated and you're going to start to be like, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? You're going to feel a bit like, uh, you know. So it's found that people suffering, there was all these studies that were done that people suffering from symptoms of depression and anxiety were found that they started to heal themselves by doing good deeds for other people. And the more good deeds you did for other people, the more it alleviated the symptoms of depression and anxiety. And this might tie into this intense need for connection. So while you shouldn't be a martyr and living for somebody else, because I don't think that does anybody any favors, this underlying need for connection is one of the crucial components to self-love and to self-worth. And you might think, well, if I'm providing worth for someone else, how is that directly making me feel worthy? It's because of the connection that you create when you provide something of value. And what I mean by of value, you've got to provide something that is not easily replaceable. You might have heard me speak about this before, but I'm going to remind you of what I'm referring to here. So when I talk about easily replaceable versus not easily replaceable. What makes, think of someone in your life that you think this person is a fucking high value friend and they are not easily replaceable. Why are they not easily replaceable? They're probably someone who will preempt your needs before you even ask for it. There's someone who probably knows when something's off just by looking at you and they care and they ask, and then they'll also ask again and they'll follow up. There's someone who will offer to help without you having to ask for it. There's someone who will listen to your bullshit 10 times in a row and not be judgmental or, try, or say, how can I be of help? There's someone who you can, you can have fun with. There's someone who listens when you talk. They genuinely listen. They interact. They contribute. That's a high-value friend. A low-value friend as far as interaction. I'm not saying value in people. You can say that everyone's worth the same, whatever you want, but I'm saying as far as behaviors, they're high-value behaviors. Low-value 
is something that's easily replaceable, easily repeatable. So that's things like a like on social media. And a lot of the time we think, oh, we're so connected now. We're not fucking connected, okay? We're not. When people are like, oh, we're, we're, in the, we're so much more connected than we've ever been. Are we? Though, really? Because when you look at social media, yeah, I can share what I'm doing to everyone and there's way more people that can know what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. But is that connection or is that just me broadcasting things easier than how I would have been able to broadcast them to the world in the past? But as far as connection, your friends sending you a, a funny video and a like, that's lovely, but that's not what's going to f- make you feel connected. To feel connected, you have to go the extra mile and that's what's going to fulfill that deep human need. So while all these superficial things are fine, they're not detrimental, they only become detrimental when you start replacing real connection with this much easier to replace superficial level of connection. And that's why we feel so disconnected in an era where we're lying to ourselves saying that we are so connected. So how are you providing high value to the people around you? And you might say, no, I've already ticked that box. I'm a fucking lord. I'm a legend. I'm very good at providing this kind of value. And that's great. But for a lot of us, including myself, I can look at situations and be like, wow, I could have been a much better friend in that situation. Recently, actually, something happened with me recently where a friend who doesn't live in the same city, opened up about how she was feeling and certain struggles she was having. And it highlighted to me that I could have been a much better friend as of recently, and I haven't. So I'm like, this is prime example. I realized that most of my interactions with her in the last couple of years have been very much on social media. And then the few times we see each other, we're like, I miss you. Why don't we spend more time together? When I could just fucking pick up the phone and call her. Sometimes it takes looking into yourself and saying, am I really a high value friend here? And if you can see moments where you haven't been a high value friend, this is a good thing because there's something you can do about it. You can then take that learning and be like, all right, I regret not being there for this person. I regret not asking them more. I regret not picking up the phone because sometimes it might be awkward or uncomfortable. But the moment you pick up the phone, when you make that call, when you reach out, when you try and be there for your friend's needs, you start to feel so much better about yourself. You feel that you're contributing to somebody's life. You're offering legitimate value. You're not just sending them a fucking funny video. You're really there. You're here to listen. And then you start feeling this deep sense of connection and you start feeling like you've got this really deep place in the world. When you contribute to those people around you, the ones that you care about, nature, animals, helping, doing good deeds, you feel more valuable because you are witnessing the value that you are providing, okay? So I think that it's impossible to talk about increasing your self-worth without including the, your connection with the world around you because value is, is two ways. It's a two-way street. You can't just be like, I'm so valuable and never interact with anybody. That's not possible because everything in life is about interacting with the people and the things around us. So the number one thing for self-worth is provide value for others, perform good deeds, be bothered to do things for other people. When you can be bothered to do things, it might be a, a push at the beginning. It might feel like a bit of a struggle, but it's going to transform how you feel about yourself. And not to mention, it's going to enrich your relationships. And therefore, you feel like you've got more that you want to give because the relationship's getting so good. And 
I spoke about friends, but this could be with your partner. This could be with, with your family, with your pets, with nature in general. There's so much that you have to give. And sometimes when people are highly, highly anxious and very depressed, one of the key things is that they start to close off and isolate and close off and isolate. So it's a vicious circle. If you then start kind of forcing yourself out of your shell and think, I'm going to focus on giving in this regard or, or doing this, or I'm going to start to whatever, feel more connected to this, you know, I'll start volunteering at the pound and walking the dogs and doing things, just doing things for, for animals, people, things outside of you, you will start to get outside of this vicious cycle inside your own head, step outside of that and start to feel more connected, okay? So initially it might not be easy, but it's absolutely incredible what you can gain from it. The second thing, number two, is to put things into perspective. So often we will get our self-worth from what other people determine our self-worth is. So that's kind of like if we have really good people around us who are always saying good things about us, who are always like building us up, we're going to, okay, I feel great. I feel really, really good. If we're around people that are always like trying to pull us down or being mean to us, then we're not going to feel as worthy. We're going to feel like really bad about ourselves. And if you're someone that really generates your sense of self and your validation from people around you, then you're going to be easily influenced. And it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. I feel really good this day because I had great things said to me. And then I feel terrible this day because this person looked at me in a bad way and made a snappy remark or someone yelled at me because I made an accident or whatever. Right. So I always say, try and put things into perspective because if you're generating your self-worth from other people, it can be very, very damaging when you have a few negative interactions in a row with people. So what you see from your interaction with someone is just a slither of what's going on in their head. And if you look at how someone treats you and they treat you poorly that way, it could set off your day and for the rest of the day you're in your head and you've got like terrible anxiety because you're like, I feel shit, I've done this wrong, no one likes me, everyone fucking thinks I'm an idiot and you just start spiraling because someone hasn't treated you well or someone said something to you or your friends were friends, quote unquote, people were like laughing and it felt like they were laughing behind your back because they weren't including you in it. And now you're in your head and you don't know what to do. So when things like that happen, I always say, put it into perspective. Keep in mind that while something might have offended you, while someone might have snapped at you, you are just ultimately one facet of that person's entire life. Someone might have been having a really bad day and you just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and they snap at you and say something awful, but it's just a reflection of what's going on in their head. Someone might be really intimidated by you and not that it justifies it, but they might then react in a way that makes you feel like, oh, wow, I was just trying to be nice and they've fully just shut me down. And now what have I done wrong? So I always say when people react negatively to you, always pause and put it into perspective and think, I'm just one slither of what's going on in their day. There might be a lot more that's happening in their day that is causing this kind of behavior and this kind of reaction. I'm going to put it into perspective. Okay. So even if someone says something that's not very nice to you, you might think this statement is coming from this person either being frustrated or maybe they're insecure or maybe they're really annoyed and they've just lashed out or maybe they're fearful of losing someone or they're jealous or they're just a plain asshole, can't relate, so I'm not offended. You know, so when you attribute people's 
like mean or nasty actions to something outside of you, then it hurts a lot less. And you're not thinking that has determined my worth. Because if if someone said something to you in a mean way and there's no context, you're going to take it personally. But if someone says something mean and you know that they just were involved in a car accident and their stress is at an all-time high, are you going to take it as personally? Probably not because you'd be like, wow, this person's like teetering on the edge right now and I just happen to be there. So I always try and think, all right, perspective, there could have been a million things that have gotten this person to be this way. And even if they are an asshole, it still helps me to feel that way because it it's giving them the benefit of the doubt and it makes me feel better. So whether it's the truth or not, irrelevant, that's just the headspace that I'm going to be in. So when people are mean, I just think, oh, I wonder what's going on in their day. Probably it's probably not a good day. That's just what I think. I don't think, oh my God, I'm fucked. I'm this, I'm that. So perspective, perspective, perspective. Always think benefit of the doubt. There must be shit going on in that person's life. I'm just going to step aside, not not let it, you know, change how I feel about myself and 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 factor in what my worthiness is based on their behavior. The third point is care more and not less. So this is to take the time to invest in and to care about things. Now, I really want to pull this apart from this idea of giving less of a fuck because I'm really big on stress less and give less of a fuck about certain things. But there is a difference between it because there is a difference between being invested and interested in something that you can seek your teeth into versus stressing about something that you have no control over, as in someone else's actions, someone else's thoughts, um, a bad decision that you made a while ago that's like playing on your mind and it's ruining your life and it's just not letting you move forward and proceed and be happy, okay? So, when I talk about giving less of a fuck, that's referring to things that you have no control over, you can't change, and therefore you're trying to move forward in the most productive way possible with your life. And what I mean by saying care more is I think a lot of people have this really nonchalant attitude about everything in their life. And when I say a lot of people, I don't have the stats on that. I'm just talking about people that I've observed in my life. It's this, uh, yeah, cool, huh, whatever, uh, this, uh, that. Or you know those people that, especially teenagers, teenagers are great at this, they're too cool for anything. Oh, yeah, whatever, yeah, fuck, I'm too cool for And they just never get passionate about anything until they're a bit older and they become a bit more mature and they realize, oh, my God, okay, they start to learn. But this is something that you can bring into your life earlier and it's something that starts to make you feel really good. Get passionate about things that you are involved in. There's no point doing something half-assed. There's no point having one foot in the door here, one foot in the door there. If you're going to do something, how can you invest more into it? How can you go all in on this thing, whether it's a friendship, whether it's even in dating? Dating is a prime example of this. It just, I find it so sad that because there's, you know, and I did a whole episode on this, but this whole, this whole idea that there's all these choices that people then are like, ah, and they're just a bit like meh, nonchalant about all the options on the table, in the app at least, these perceived options, that they never get really passionate and excited about something. It's like, get excited about something. And when you start getting excited about something, you start to be like, oh, this actually feels good. I just felt a change in my body. And you f- you physically do change when you're excited about something. You feel the change. And when you roll with these emotions, you start to release more similar chemicals, emotions, feelings, neurotransmitters 
everything starts to change. And then you start to feel better. You start to feel more empowered. You start to feel happier. And therefore, you start to feel more worthy. Okay? So get excited about things. Get excited about the fact that you get to do certain things. Get excited about this hobby that you're doing. Get pumped about the person that you're dating. You know, invest. And when I when I talk about dating or anything that you're doing, if you're dating someone, dating is the test drive, right? So when I say, okay, I'm blabbering, but I'm going to give you an example here. I had a friend and he was seeing someone and he's like, I don't know. I just don't know if if it's working. I don't know where we stand. I'm kind of semi into it. I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm at this point now. It's been a couple of weeks. Do I pursue it? Do I not? Do I just, you know, if I'm not passionate yet, does that mean that I just pull the pin on the whole thing? And I said to him, People are so scared to enter relationships because they think, oh my God, now it's official, now it's official. Once the relationship becomes official, that's that only then can you begin to really know what it's like to date this person. When you are dating somebody, as in we've decided that we mutually agree on what the dynamics of this relationship is, for argument's sake, because it's probably the most common one, let's talk about a monogamous relationship. When you enter this monogamous relationship, you both agree. That is the test drive. I am now officially test driving this car, but I'm going all in on this test drive. It's not like, oh, but I'll also fucking test drive a thousand other cars. No, no, no. I'm being, I'm really trying this thing now. So I said to him, why don't you just make it official? You can always break up with someone. You can always end a relationship if it's not working. But if you make it official in your head, maybe you're more likely to go all in and really invest and give it your all psychologically. You're now giving it your all and see what happens. They're now engaged. They're now fucking engaged and so in love because he, they're the best. I I was going to give a shout out, but privacy, whatever. But these guys are now engaged and he was like, I'm just going to go all in on this thing because... She's right. Like if, if, if it's not working out, at least I'll know for sure. I'll never have doubts because I gave it my all. So I think it's important to invest more, care more, go all in more. And that way you're more confident with your decisions. You're more confident when you do want to walk away from something. You're more confident when you want to go deeper into something because you are investing emotion and time into something properly. Okay. And the reason why this ties in so heavily with your self-worth is because you're not sitting on the fence the whole time. You're, you're, you're decisive with the decisions in your life. You're really taking intentional action. And when you do that, you trust yourself more. You're able to really trust your instincts more and trust your intuition more. Okay. I love it. It's something that I've been doing more and more with my life and fucking here for it. Number four is do something every single day to show respect for your brain and your mind. Okay. So an analogy for this is imagine that you're raising a child, you're raising your child and you want this child and the, their brain to have the best start possible. You would think of their brain as this like miracle thing that's absorbing all these things and, you know, it's kind of up to you to be raising this child and to mold their brain in the best way possible for them to have the best chance at life and all of that. So what would you do? You would be trying to encourage exploration. You would encourage curiosity. You would be feeding it rich thoughts and new pieces of information. Um, You would be speaking kindly to it. You would be encouraging. You'd be encouraging effort. You would be probably not putting them in front of a screen for 12 hours every single day. 
So you got to think like, how would I treat this child's brain that I'm trying to nurture into the happiest, most productive brain possible? And it would be roughly all these things that I've mentioned, plus a whole lot more. So now when you've written that list, think, how much of that do I do for my own brain? Because like, how much can I do to treat my, what can I do for my brain to give it the best chance possible at happiness, at, you know, productivity, at getting where I want in my life, you know? And there's so many things that you can be doing right now that could change your brain. The beauty of the brain is that it can always be changing and molding it the way you want it and changing and remolding and rechanging throughout your entire life. And yes, it is easier when you're younger, but it's possible your entire life. The reason it's easier is because the brain's a bit more moldable, a bit more plastic when you're young, including when you're a child, it's easier than when you're 50, okay? But it's always possible. So you've got to ask yourself, what are certain exercises that I could do to be treating my brain with respect? And that's things like learning something every single day, physical activity, exercise, getting your heart rate up, blood pumping to the brain, meditation, things to calm the brain and get the brain communicating, brain regions communicating better. You could be doing things in the way of nutrition, foods, eating lots of veggies, L-theanine, green tea, things that are like enriching for your brain, omega-3s, things like that. Hydrating your brain. Are you drinking enough fucking water? And then things as far as creativity and exploration, like a hobby or a challenge, something that's going to make your brain challenged every single day. So every day, ask yourself, what am I doing today to respect my brain and my mind? And there's got to be something on that list. There has to be something that you can tick off on that list. I don't care how small, every single day. And then when you do that exercise and ask yourself that every single day, you then are more primed to be like, okay, what else can I do? And what else? Because like, Energy flows where attention goes. So if you're always thinking, if you're always primed at the start of the day, what can I do to respect my brain? What can I do to respect my mind? Then you're more likely to do more things because that's where your awareness is. Okay? So focus on that and do something every single day to show yourself that you respect your brain and your mind because your brain and your mind is like the control center of your life. Okay? So take care of that. Everything else is taken care of. The fifth one is command versus demand. So when it comes to how you are treated, never demand how you want to be treated, okay? It's this whole thing about like respect. You command respect, you don't demand respect. You don't ever force someone to treat you a certain way or beg someone to treat you a certain way. You show people how you would like to be treated. And then it's up to that person if they want to treat you that way or not. But then it's up to you if you want to keep interacting with that person or not. I would never say, this is how you have to treat me. You've got to treat me. You're fucking banging on it. No, I treat my way with a standard. There's a standard. If someone crosses that line, I say, I don't, I don't put up with that. But often the line isn't isn't crossed, well, now especially, the older I get, the less likely that line is crossed. When I was a lot younger, you know, in the dating scene and friendship scene, the line was getting crossed all the time. I didn't even know where the line was. But as I got older, as I realized this is what I want, this is what I don't want, and I started treating myself with that bare minimum, and by that I mean I would walk away when something wasn't working for me. I wouldn't put up with bullshit just because I was like, oh, but you're really cool. I just wouldn't. And I started 
removing myself from situations that weren't working for me, people start to notice that. They start to notice there is a line that Alexis will not allow people to cross and she'll either remove herself from the situation or she'll say, this is the last time that I'm going to put up with that. You know, but I will never tell someone how they have to treat me. I'll never demand anything. I'll say, this is what I provide for myself. And if someone's going to cross it, that's perfectly fine, but I'm not going to be a part of it. And then when you put the focus more on this is about me, I'm not trying to boss people around and tell people and beg and plead and whatever, then people will either respond or walk away. If you get stuck in this back and forth of, a, of an unhealthy dynamic with, with friends, with partners, with employees, with colleagues, with family, where it's this like begging, but I want you to treat me this way. Like, unfortunately, there's going to be times in your life where people are not going to treat you the way you want to be treated. And the issue is that a lot of people will start to degrade how they feel about themselves because they stay in the scenario and they keep saying, but I, I, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking, I'm asking. People don't always do what you ask. They just don't because people don't view situations the way you view them the way you view them. People don't share the same morals that you have. People don't have the same life experiences that you have had. So everyone's going to come from a different angle to the, a conclusion. So you can't be sitting in life expecting you have to treat me this way. You have to know what to do if someone is refusing to treat you in a way that you want to be treated. Okay. And that's where it gets really difficult because a lot of people, they know what they'd like but they're not willing to walk away when those standards aren't met. You have to learn to set the standard and walk away when those standards are not met. So this is the command versus demand. I will always remove myself from a situation if I can't meet in the middle with someone and determine what that minimum standard is for respect mutually. And if, we're, we, if we can't get to that point, I would just remove myself from the situation. I will not be fucking labeling it and telling it how it is and fucking you have to this and that. No. Okay, And because of that, I feel a lot calmer in myself. I feel very confident within myself because I know that I will always provide the, the bare minimum standard of that treatment. Okay, So command versus demand. Then the last one is reflect back. This is a really good way to remind yourself of your worth. Now, there's three categories of things that you have earned that you can focus on that makes you start to, like, that reminds you of your worth, okay? And I always talk about earning things because earning things is a really good reflection of who you are as an individual. I don't, you know, you can't be like, oh, my God, I'm really worthy because I'm hot. You haven't earned your hotness. And a lot of people who are actually, like, textbook hot have a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-doubt because they're using that facet to determine their worth and they're like, oh, but this is going to fade and is this enough? And then well, it's just my looks. So it's got to be something you've earned because things that you've earned can't be bought, borrowed, stolen, imitated, taken away. If you've earned something, that's, that's what you've, that's you. Okay. So when you, when I talk about earning things that you can focus on to make you be like, fuck, I did that. I did that. So this is what I've achieved in my life and it makes you feel better about yourself. One category is relationship achievement. So the quality of your relationships. Um, and that's something that, you know, I've really earned this amazing bond with my sister or I've really earned this incredible group of friends or I've really earned this whatever. But look at your relationships and the really healthy, good relationships, it's at least 50% due to you and you've worked on that because if you weren't the quality of person that you are today, 
that relationship would be different. So give yourself credit for the good relationships in your life. And then that will also help you realize, oh, where am I lacking in other relationships? Can I make them just as good? Another one is physical slash intellectual things that you've earned. You know, what have you worked really hard on physically or mentally to achieve? And this is like external achievements that you've worked hard for to to get. And then the last one is emotional things as far as growth. Like what adversity have I overcome? Um, what have I been able to work on emotionally or from a mental health perspective that I've seen progress in? Um, you know, what, have I overcome a heartbreak? Have I overcome this kind of failure? Have I been able to, you know, put myself out there again and be vulnerable? Things in that category of like emotional strength that you've earned. And keep a list. Start adding to that list because some things won't come top of mind, won't come to you top of mind. And, and then you'll think about it the next day and you start adding and adding and adding. And before you know it, you're going to have a pretty extensive list of things that you as an individual have earned for yourself. And when you look back on that list, you're really focusing on everything that you have achieved and also what you're capable of achieving. And when you look at that, you're like, wait a minute, if I've done that, I could do this and I could do that. And you have a really proactive approach instead of this kind of reactive approach to life. And then you start to realize how much you do have to give and how much you do have to offer. Okay. So those are the six points we've got. Provide value and perform good deeds. We've got put things into perspective. We've got give a shit about, you know, just care more about people and things and things that you do. We've got respect your brain and mind, command, respect versus demand, and reflecting back on the things that you have earned. So that is the episode of today. Hopefully you're able to put one or all six of these things into practice uh, and you'll definitely start to notice a difference in how you feel around your self-worth, okay? Uh, We have a listener question before we wrap up the episode today. You have one unheard message. Hey, Alexis. So I have a situation. I met my wife when she was 19 and I was 24. It was love at first sight and we just clicked and we were dating for a year and a half and I asked her to marry me. COVID happened and we had a little baby boy. He is our world. Fast forward a year, we decided to get married. It was such a beautiful celebration of love, super low key. It was in our backyard. Anyway, one and a half years on, my wife randomly comes to me and tells me about one of her kinks. It was for her to see me sexually with another woman. I hesitantly, but in the heat of the moment, agreed with her and went with it. She said she was going to organize it, but it really never happened. And we went straight into talking about a swap slash swinging. Again, I was hesitant, but heat of the moment and wanting to make my wife happy, I agreed. And she set it up and she set it up with a couple that she knew. Things happened and she tells me she caught feelings for the guy. Now I'm beside myself wondering what I could have done better, but she says nothing. Fast forward a few weeks later, she wants to be in an open marriage. I wasn't keen and I told her and she called a break on our marriage to work on herself as she really doesn't love herself. She's seeking the love and affection from other males. It doesn't sit right with me. I have expressed this to her, how much it's hurting me. Like she goes away, gets drunk and tells me she loves me only me, puts her ring on and only gives me false hope when she comes home. I told her I don't want to be strung on and now we are separated. She says, I can't love you the way you deserve and also keeps saying she's only 24 and has her whole life to live and me being on 30 and I want to settle down and buy a house. Sorry for the long essay. I hope this makes sense. Okay. 
firstly, I'm sorry that you're going through that because that's really difficult and it's your wife and you have a child and you've built this life together so I can see how difficult that would be. But I guess the one thing that you've made extremely clear is that you, it says here that she's only 24, has a whole life to live, and you being 30, you want to settle down and buy a house. I feel like the settling down has been done. You guys are married and have a kid, you know, so I feel like it's not about, oh, we're at different stages in our lives because, you know, I want to do this and I want, I feel like she's just, something's changed for her. You've, by what you've written, I'm presuming that you've been the same the whole way through about what it is that you want. You've been very clear. You asked her to marry you a year a year in, you know, you were or a year and a half in. You've been like nothing's changed from your intentions for your future as a family. That's all stayed the same. It's not like all of a sudden you're like, oh, you want to settle and I'm not ready. So the, what's happened here is that she's had a change or an evolution in how she's feeling, okay? The good thing is that she's been very open about where her head is at the entire time. Um, you know, first she started talking about this kink that she has, then she evolved, you know, so she's obviously been telling you that she told you that she caught feelings for this guy. So while it's very painful, communication and honesty is key for anything to happen. But I think there's also a chance here that at the moment, the relationship is just not what she needs or or not what she's going to what she's able to focus on right now whether that's got to do with her self love or whether it's the fact that she truly just wants to be in an open relationship when someone says i can't love you the way you deserve that's someone trying to let go of someone else in the most gentle way possible it's because they care about you but they're like i'm not at least right now i'm not the person for you now it sounds really harsh but my advice to you would be the best way to, to navigate something like this is you're co-parenting a child. You are now separated, you've told me. The best way to navigate this is to obviously maintain as healthy a relationship as you can as the co-parents of this child and obviously maintain, you know, the communication open, but you have to close the relationship chapter with her because if you're sitting there as an option and waiting, and I'm here, but I'm not here, and I'm here. To, you know, there's also a chance that a lot of people, if they feel like you're always an option on the table and you're never going to leave and you're never going to go anywhere, then they're going to be like, oh, you're always going to be there, but uh, you're my safety net, and I want to try this, I want to try that. You've got to find a way, not in a way to punish her, but in a way to close that chapter, you have to remove yourself as that option. You've got to be like, you know what? I am not being loved the way I deserve. Not that it's not an attack on you, but I'm not. This is not how I deserve to be loved. I actually deserve something that, you know, makes me happy as well. I'm not getting that. So I agree with you that this is not the right dynamic and I'm going to officially end this as well as what she wants to do to end it. Now, it's not to say that the relationship can't ever flourish again in the future, but I think the best thing that you can do is to you know, help her to end it. Because one thing that's really a strong statement is when you can say, I can also say that this is wrong. If you sit there as her plan B forever, you're hurting yourself and you're just going to provide her with a safety net and not much else because she's going to be like in two worlds, like, oh, maybe here, maybe there, maybe this, maybe not. For your sake, I would put an end to it 
but always maintain as healthy a relationship possible with her so you can co-parent that child in the best way possible. Because at the moment, no one is winning. She's not winning. You're not winning. The child's not winning. No one is winning. If you can start to create a life for yourself separate to that, then you're going to start to feel a little bit better. What happens if she wants to turn it around and truly come back to you in the future? Firstly, don't do this so she comes back. Do this for your own sake. But if she turns around in the future and wants to come back, then it's a lot easier for that to be navigated because you're like, you've actually had time without me. You know what it's like for us to legitimately be separated and for me to not be like, oh, I still want you back. I still want, you know what it's like for this to be ended. You know what life feels like without me, without us as a, as a family unit together versus, you know, separated. And then it's easier for her to make that decision if she wants to come back or if she wants to leave, okay? But I think that one thing that's good is her communication has been clear from the get-go. She can communicate what she wants. It's not what you want to hear, but she's able to communicate that. So I feel like I would end it. If in the future she wants to come back, you've got to look at that as a brand new relationship. I always say that when a couple breaks up, if they get back in the future, you're starting something new. Yes, there's a history, but you're starting something brand new with new parameters, new, you've got to like meet in the middle in a, in a brand new way. Everything starts again. It's a fresh relationship. You're also not carrying any like resentment or anger from the past either. So if, if you were ever to get back together, you would just come to her with questions like, what's different now that wasn't in, in the past? What makes you feel like now is the right thing that, that you didn't feel like that way in the past? And all these questions like that, just so you feel confident that it's, you know, she's making this decision because she wants to and not because she feels like she's, you know, feels trapped or guilty or whatever. So I know it's not what you want to hear, but when someone's saying, I can't love you the way you deserve and doesn't want to be in the relationship, there's nothing you can do but to like aid in the relationship coming to a close because um, you can't force someone to do anything. You can't force someone to stay. You can't force someone to to love you or to love you in the way that you want to be loved. And right now you're not, you're not getting the relationship you deserve. So if I were you, I would be like, I will make this easier for you and I'm out, fucking out. Okay. That's what I would do. Hopefully that helped. I know you're going through a really hard time, but thank you for writing in. Guys, that is all for the episode of today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care. Listener.